So back in the 80s, my dad and a group of guys from my home church in Oklahoma started to go on an annual fishing trip down to southwestern Oklahoma to a state park called Clayton Lake. And when I was somewhere in grade school, I got to go for the first time. And then when my oldest son, Landon, was about six years old, he got to go for the first time on that trip as well. And he had a lot of questions as we were driving down there. We were actually living uh, up in Tonganoxie in Kansas, but I made that trip once. It was kind of a long trip, but I, I did it that one time. And, and Landon had all these questions on this six-hour drive. And his biggest question was, where are we going to go to church? Because we were staying until Sunday. And he's growing up in a, in a preacher's house. You go to church every Sunday. You go on vacation, you do church somewhere. That's just part of it. And so he, he was very worried. Where are we going to go to church on Sunday? And I said, well, there are actually a couple of Christian churches in that little town we could go to. But what we'll do is we will have church service there at the lake, uh, near, near the lake. And we'll, we'll do it in the morning. We'll have some songs that we'll sing. I'll have a short message. And then we'll take communion. And he, he did ask me, so, so you're preaching? I said, yeah, I'm, I'm preaching. They would normally ask me to do that when I could still go on this trip. And so Landon, at six years old, he said, well, could I preach? I said, sure, why not? I guess, what, do you want, what are you going to preach on? He said, the wild duck of Denmark. So if you were here last week, that's an illustration that I used. I used that for the first time 10 years ago. He was sitting in an audience, kind of like today, Family Worship Sunday, I had no clue that he remembered the story or knew anything about it. If you weren't here last week, you're, you're lost a little bit, but don't worry, stick with me. He, he said, I, I want to use that story. I want to preach from that story. I said, okay, sure. If that's what you want to do, go for it. So we go through the weekend, and I could tell he's getting a little nervous. And eventually he comes to me and says, Dad, maybe you should preach. Uh, I said, okay, that's fine. That's, that's what you want me to do. I'll do it. So I got up there. I was going to say something else, but I thought, well, he wanted to share that story. I'll use that story and try to tie it in somehow. So I start telling the story. And apparently I was telling it wrong. So a little six-year-old Landon, he chimes in and he starts telling the story for me. And all of a sudden, we all kind of step back and this six-year-old's preaching to grown men. And he's telling them, don't stay in the barnyard. You got to be real Christians. And we just let him go and said amen and took communion. Uh, in a sense, we all can preach. Now, that doesn't mean everybody has been given the gift to to preach and, and, and be a pastor and preach from the, straight, from the stage, but we all can proclaim the message of Christ. Every single one of us in here has not only that ability, but has that calling on their life. We all need to proclaim and announce the message of Jesus Christ. Paul, he used a couple of different Greek words that we interpret preach, and they have some good meanings behind them, that words that mean announce or tell, to make known openly and with wide distribution, to proclaim throughout. You can take this message of Jesus Christ and proclaim it to the people that you work with, that you live with, that you do life with, that you hang out with, that you eat with. All you have to do is get out of your comfort zone just a little bit in order to do that. And perhaps more than anything, Paul wanted to proclaim this message in Rome. 
He knew that if I could just get to Rome, because it was that major city of the day, if I could get to Rome and if I could preach there, I know that I could bring millions, perhaps, to a knowledge of who Christ is. Now, Paul thought he would go to Rome and be a preacher. He thought, that's what I'll do. Well, God doesn't always work out his plans the way that we think. Sometimes we understand later why he did it. For Paul, he doesn't go to Rome as a preacher, but as a prisoner. And Paul tells the Philippians how Christ is still being proclaimed in Rome, even while he sits in chains and in prison. And the most important thing that we need to begin to pay attention to as he's proclaiming this message is, first, we should proclaim him in all circumstances, no matter what may be going on in our lives. Didn't matter what was going on in Paul's life. No matter what may be going on around us, we can proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. The circumstances around us do not have to be perfect for us to do that. They were not perfect for Paul. That's pretty obvious. Here's what Paul writes about what's happening there even while he's in prison. Philippians 1.12. And I want you to know, my dear brothers and sisters, that everything that has happened to me here has helped to spread the good news For everyone here, including the whole palace guard, knows that I'm in chains because of Christ. See, the wonderful thing and amazing thing about God is that he can use all kinds of things and all kinds of circumstances to further his kingdom and to bring himself glory. God uses Moses' staff. He used Gideon's pitchers. He used David's sling. Right now, he's going to use Paul's chains. Paul says the whole palace guard knows that I'm here because of Christ. How do they know that? Well, the Romans didn't realize that those chains that they put Paul in that were meant to bind him actually kind of released him. Uh, In a later imprisonment, Paul will write this in 2 Timothy 2.9, And because I preach this good news, I am suffering and have been chained like a criminal But the word of God cannot be chained. See, they they could chain Paul. They could come in here and they could chain every single one of us. But they cannot chain or extinguish the word of God. So when they chained Paul, essentially, they gave him a captive audience. So he had to be chained 24 hours a day to a Roman soldier. And they they would typically work in shifts, six-hour shifts. So if you know, can do math at all. That's four people every single day that are chained to him, and they can't leave. And so he can say whatever he wants to them. He, he can proclaim the message of Christ for six hours, and they can't get up. They can't leave. They thought they were chaining him. They thought they were binding him, and instead, he uses that as an opportunity to spread the gospel to all of these palace guards. What an amazing thing. Just imagine that you're one of those soldiers. And you're chained to a man who is praying without ceasing, a man who wanted to know your spiritual condition, who's writing letters again and again to churches and individuals across the Roman Empire. I bet he won some of them to Christ. I, I really believe that he did. Paul was able to spread the good news amongst the elite of the elite, the praetorian guard of the Roman Empire, something that he could not have done if he was a free man, only because he was in prison. But there's another group that he got to share the gospel with as well. 
more circumstances coming together. And that was the officials in Caesar's court. Paul was there as a prisoner, and he's appealing to Caesar because he's a Roman citizen. And so they had, they had to do that. He's a citizen. The Roman government is forced now to decide the status of this new Christianity. Is it just another sect of the Jews? Uh, is, is it dangerous? So they would have to dig into the doctrines of the Christian faith. See, there are times when God puts us in a certain situation that we think is maybe not so great, is maybe kind of uncomfortable, but he's doing it for a reason. He's doing it so that you'll proclaim his message no matter the circumstance. Some of you today, you may feel chained in some way to to certain things. You might feel chained to your job. And you know it supports your family, but you're struggling with it. You don't like your job. Well, maybe God has you there for a particular reason. Maybe there's somebody there he wants you to be talking to, sharing the gospel with. Some of you, you might be stay-at-home moms, and you, you kind of feel tied to the house. Maybe God has you there for a reason. You've got kids there, and, and the impact you can have on them is huge. Maybe some of you feel sort of chained because of, of an ailment, physical ailment. But maybe God can use that too because he works through, through our weaknesses as well as our strengths. How does he do that? Well, by asking us to follow the example of Paul to see your circumstances as opportunities rather than chains. A chance to move the kingdom forward rather than restrain it. You can rejoice about what God is doing even if maybe he hasn't done exactly what you wanted him to do. 1 Thessalonians 5.16, it says this, Always be joyful. Never stop praying. Be thankful in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. You are here to proclaim the message of Jesus Christ. Every single one of us, no matter the circumstance you find yourself in, the whole palace guard knew what Paul was about. Do people know what you're about? The people that you work with, the people you do life with, do they know what you're about like they did with Paul? No matter the circumstance, we proclaim the message of Christ. The second thing that we see from Paul in this text when it comes to proclaiming this message is that we should proclaim this message fearlessly and with confidence. Church, we have the greatest news ever given to man. And we get to share that. We get to share that with a world that is in desperate need of something that's authentic, something that is true. It is an honor and a privilege and a joy to share the good news. We can proclaim it fearlessly and confidently. Paul says in Philippians 1.14, And because of my imprisonment, most of the believers here have gained confidence and boldly speak God's message without fear. So many of the believers there in Rome, they're watching Paul. They're watching how he's operating and how he is boldly proclaiming the gospel, even though he's in chains, even though he's in prison, and it's giving them this greater boldness, this greater confidence to speak up themselves. The phrase, have gained confidence, it's actually just one Greek word in the original text. It's the Greek word patheo, and it means to persuade or win over. 
That's what Paul was doing. That's what the folks in Rome were beginning to do. They were beginning to persuade and win over those who were a little skeptical about this new Christian movement. And Paul is starting to rub off on those in Rome, and he's writing to the Philippians, hoping that these words will rub off on them as well. We cannot be scared to share the message that God has given us. We must be confident, not in what we can accomplish, but in what God can accomplish through us if we just truly have the courage to let him use us. There's this amazing passage in Acts chapter 4. Peter and John have just returned from the the Jerusalem council. Not Jerusalem council, that's Acts 15. From the Jerusalem elders and officials. And and they're, they're having this major discussion back and forth. And they come back and they share with the believers everything that they got to proclaim to the elders and to the officials. And then they all pray together. And I want you to hear their prayer because this really ought to be our prayer when it comes to proclaiming the message of Christ. This is Acts 4, 24. Here's what it says. O sovereign Lord, creator of heaven and earth, the sea and everything in them, you spoke long ago by the Holy Spirit through our ancestor David, your servant, saying, why were the nations so angry? Why did they waste their time with futile plans? The kings of the earth prepared for battle. The rulers gathered together against the Lord and against his Messiah. In fact, this has happened here in this very city. For Herod Antipas, Pontius Pilate, the governor, the Gentiles, the people of Israel were all united against Jesus, your holy servant, whom you anointed. But everything they did was determined beforehand according to your will. And now, O Lord, hear their threats and give us your servants great boldness in preaching your word. Stretch out your hand with healing power. May miraculous signs and wonders be done through your name for your holy servant Jesus. And after this prayer, the meeting place shook, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Then they preached the word of God with boldness. Church, that's got to be our prayer. May we proclaim his name with boldness, no matter the circumstance, because not only should we have this great confidence But we can do so fearlessly. Paul says they spoke without fear. They didn't worry about what was going to happen. Later on in the the same chapter in Philippians 1.28, it says this, Don't be intimidated in any way by your enemies. This will be a sign to them that they're going to be destroyed, but that you are going to be saved even by God himself. We should never be afraid to share the gospel. But I know that some of us are. Some of us are. And I get it. Sometimes there is a fear when you go to share your faith. There can be a fear of rejection. One of the biggest fears is not knowing what to say. What if I look foolish? What if I say the wrong thing? I understand. I know there is that fear. But church, 2 Timothy 1.7 tells us real clearly, for God has not given us a spirit of fear, and to me, but a power and love and self-discipline. So never be ashamed to tell others about our Lord. We should never fear what other people might say or do when we share and proclaim the message of Jesus Christ. Robert Schuller, he once said, if you listen to your fears, you will die never knowing what a great person you might have been. Max Lucado, he he put it this way. The presence of fear does not mean you have no faith. Fear visits everyone. 
but make your fear a visitor, not a resident. Right? That is not something that sticks around. We understand. We all have it. I have it. But church, I truly believe if we had a healthier fear of God, I think we would fear a lot less what man might say when we share the gospel. So we should proclaim the message fearlessly and with confidence. The last thing that we need to understand from this text is that we should proclaim the good news with pure motives. Not everyone, then and today, spreads the good news out of pure motives. Some do it because it's, it's a way for them to make money. Some do it because they like what, what maybe power or control they have. That's what was happening in Paul's day, still happens today. Here's how Paul described this issue in Philippians uh, 1.15. It's true that some are preaching out of jealousy and rivalry, but others preach about Christ with pure motives. They preach because they love me, for they know I've been appointed to defend the good news. Those others do not have pure motives as they preach about Christ. They preach with selfish ambition and not sincerely, intending to make my chains more painful to me. But that doesn't matter. Whether their motives are false or genuine, the message about Christ is being preached either way. So I rejoice, and I will continue to rejoice, for I know that as you pray for me, and the Spirit of Jesus Christ helps me, this will lead to my deliverance. So apparently, those who proclaimed the message of Jesus Christ were kind of in two camps, two motives. Some were proclaiming and preaching out of this jealousy and envy and rivalry, trying to create more and more trouble for Paul in some way, while the others, they're preaching out of pure motives. They love the Lord. They love what Paul is doing. They know he's there to defend the good news. And so they're preaching out of these, these good, pure motives. There have been a lot of questions and conjectures about why was there a group of people, because it, it sounds strange, why was there a group of people preaching out of jealousy and rivalry? Why were they trying to make Paul's life worse? That doesn't make sense to, to maybe some of us. Well, in studying this text, my best interpretation of why the people would be doing this is simply because they aspired to the position that Paul had. They aspired to have that leadership and those accolades and that acceptance. And if they could somehow make Paul's life a little bit more difficult, his ministry subdue it, then theirs would be amplified. They proclaimed the correct message, but their intent was not maybe to lead people to Christ, but more to enhance their own prestige as these new figureheads in this new church. On the flip side of that, you have the people with pure motives. They love the Lord. They're doing what they should be doing. They spoke about Jesus because they had a, a love for the lost and wanted them to come to an understanding of who Jesus was. So this has everything to do with motive, not message. Those are two different things. Now, Paul does have to address the message piece, but not to the church in Philippi. The church in Galatia, they're struggling with the message part of it. From the very beginning of his letter, he has to tell them something important. In Galatians 1.8, he writes, Let God's curse fall on anyone, including us, or even an angel from heaven, who preaches a different kind of good news than the one we preach to you. I say again that we have said what we've said before. If anyone preaches any other good news than the one you welcome, let that person be cursed. So in Galatia, it's a message issue. It's not the right message. In Philippi, it's just a motive. Where are their motives coming from? And so Paul, because it's just a motive thing, he says, look, they're preaching the message. It's the right message. 
So the people are hearing it regardless of who it's coming from, so I rejoice. I rejoice, and, and maybe that'll make my chains worse, but at least they're hearing the correct message. Now, I know Paul knew that the character of the one proclaiming the message is important, but he also knew the power of the gospel itself and that it could work past that because it can work in our weaknesses as much as it can work in our strengths. What we need to pay attention to is the motive behind our message. Do we proclaim Jesus for the right reason? Would God say that our motives are pure when we proclaim him, when we come into contact with people? I I think that he would. I hope so. Jesus said in Acts 1.8, but you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you'll be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Now, he was speaking to the disciples, but it's also for us, that at least that portion about where we're supposed to be proclaiming this, to the ends of the earth. So no matter your circumstance, no matter what you might be going through right now, you can have the confidence to boldly and fearlessly proclaim the message of Christ from motives that are pure. Look at where Paul is. He's in prison, chained to a guard day after day. But through that imprisonment, the gospel spreads. And and the Christians around him are, are gaining courage and confidence and they're proclaiming the message. Guys, we proclaim too. We announce, we tell, we make known with wide distribution, but what are we making known? What are we proclaiming? What are you and I proclaiming? Are we proclaiming the message of Jesus Christ, or are we sometimes proclaiming the latest church gossip? We have to check our motives. So I don't want to just end the message by saying, go proclaim it. I think some of you are are probably further enough along in, in your discipleship process and the process of becoming more like Christ, what we call sanctification, that you could take this message and it's just an encouragement to you and you go proclaim it. But I know that some of you are, are you're new, to, new to the faith and so you're not exactly sure, how do I do this? How do I actually tell someone about Christ? And so I wanna give you a resource a valuable resource. I found it valuable in my own personal evangelism. I think that you'll find it valuable as well. It's, it's a little book, and it's called We Speak, Proclaiming Truth in an Age of Talk. It's actually a seven-week devotional. It's not a book you, you breathe through. You, you kind of slowly go through it. You could do this with a small group. Uh, you could do this with your family. You can do it as a personal time of devotion. But what this book does is helps you understand how to, say, how to talk to people about your faith, what to say and how to say it. It's written by a group of guys from Eastview Christian Church back in Illinois. It's based on the passage from Acts 4.20 that says, for we cannot help but speak what we have seen and heard. It's a great book to, to just walk through with, with a group for sure. Our words are powerful. Because the Holy Spirit works through us when we proclaim the gospel. One of the the lines here in the very first part of the book says this, Speaking for Jesus then and now is arranged by the Holy Spirit through events and circumstances in our lives. There are circumstances in your life right now, maybe you're seeing them as difficulties. 
And, and maybe they are, and they, probably they are, but God also sees that as a way for you to spread this message of Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter the circumstance. Paul is proof of that. We, we saw that this morning. So the question I just want to leave you with is, is a simple question, but how you answer it will really determine the lives of those around you. What are you proclaiming? What are you proclaiming? 